Hello and welcome to our new series of The Educators. We're absolutely delighted this series to be looking at schools that are doing things differently and in my opinion very often, certainly in this case, doing things a lot better. I'm delighted to welcome Russell John Cayley. Russell, welcome to The Educators. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Russell, you are Managing Director of Think Learning Studios and Think Global School based in Dubai. But I feel a bit kind of disingenuous saying based in Dubai because you're actually a travelling high school. So before we get on to Think Global, tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you are now, which is living in Dubai, being Managing Director of of Think Global um, School and Studio and why you do things differently, you personally. Wow. Okay. Big, big start to the podcast. Okay. I'll try <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I started out as a sociology history teacher back in England. I loved the job. I, I actually went back and taught where I was a student, um, inner city college in Manchester. So it did feel like for six, seven years, I was really giving back to the local community. And we were a very successful college, won a lot of awards nationally, including the, the Queen's Beacon Award, fantastic results, fantastic turnaround of those students going to what you would regard as very high level universities. So for six years, kind of, you know, I, I moved through the British curriculum. I, you know, churned out the lessons and, my kind of life took a turn when I started um, really engaging in IB summer camps across California. And that really gave me a window into a lot of fantastic educators who were teaching in places like Thailand, Middle East, um, down in New Zealand, really across the world who would come in for these summer programs. So I really got a window into international education and it really sparked my interest. So I, I started kind of researching into and, and to be honest i when we were trained as teachers in the pgc system at a university international schools i cannot i can never remember being mentioned as an option you know no, i totally agree yeah yeah that window is never open to us the, i i don't remember hearing about the ib i don't remember hearing about international schools i remember hearing nothing it was literally just um going from your pgc to your nqt year and then becoming a teacher in the uk fair enough because that's the system being trained in but even amongst your peers and back in the dorms no one really spoke about it so i kind of had this small window left ajar around international education and then this opportunity came up at think global school which was only two years old at the time so yeah, applied for it, went through a series of interviews and, uh, you know, vetting process for this job. And the next minute I was, I was leaving England. I was on a plane to Argentina and that started a 10 year journey traveling the world with Think Global School as a startup and then turning it into with a fantastic team with into the school it is today, which is a school that's won many awards. It's It's been recognized in in, in lots of fora, forums and groups of schools around the world. So yeah, that was my kind of journey. It started back in Manchester and it ended up on a plane to Argentina. And then from <laughs> there, it was 10 years traveling the globe, which was, and that we were actually, so it's worth saying as well, um, for your listeners, we were an IB school and then we launched our own curriculum around seven, eight years ago. So we went through a really intense journey of being a school that traveled, doing, trying to basically shoehorn in a very traditional curriculum to having a bit of a mission crisis and then 
really designing our own curriculum. And I think even more now than the traveling school, we're known equally. I hope we're known equally now is also for our project-based learning, our, our change maker curriculum that we that we implement now. It's really interesting what you say about international. I remember when I'm at the opposite scale, big primary trained. And when I went international thinking, who are these people in the world who speak a language I don't know in, in IB, who who kind of make their own curriculum and devise their own thing? And it's it's something that I totally agree with you. It's it's a missed opportunity, definitely in the trading area in UK. And you learn so much, I think, that as, as you have done by traveling and by, by teaching with other people. And you, you actually look at your website, which is fabulous, by the way. Think Global School is a traveling high school where students live and learn in four countries each year, making unforgettable unforgettable connections between their studies and the world around them. I was at a school this morning, it's a PBL school, and they were talking about making things relevant. And this is the ultimate in relevance. And you have a change maker curriculum, giving students agency over their education. And I think there's, there's mentioned somewhere about studying biology in four different countries and, and making it real. How does that work? It sounds amazing, <laughs> but how does it actually work? And what can we learn from you that perhaps we could kind of start looking at worldwide and in other education systems? We scale our projects, first of all. I think that's really important for anyone implementing project-based learning to understand it's not a go away and do a do a project think global i think global we are very deliberate in how we scale and introduce our projects so to give you an example on that as students enter our school and it doesn't matter if they enter in grade we're grade 10 to grade 12 so but they can only enter in grade 10 and 11 we don't have entry in grade 12 so when they enter in either 10 or 11 we we really do hold their hand through the first couple of terms now, these will be through what we call teacher-led modules. So the teacher will introduce the driving question, the design challenge. Now, the students still have, still have autonomy within that. They can take, still take that in various different ways. However, the very first project they do, we might limit, for example, or not limit, but really help them pick their learning targets. We'll help them with their prototype, with their end product. And it's, it's also a word I'm using more and more as, as, as you know, I, I talk to more people about this is it's also portfolio learning. So our students are learning like architects. They are putting their work through a very rigorous portfolio because I meet principals all over the world and they say, yeah, PBL sounds great, but you know, how do I prove anything? How do I, you know, what do I tell the accreditors? What do I tell my, you know, tell my headmaster? So we, we've solved that problem through portfolio learning and our students now, not only are they taking their portfolios to their, what we call exit interviews to basically get their, you know, get their scores, grades, and the rest of it through the schooling system. Our students are actually taking these portfolios to job interviews now. That's happening right now with our alumni. So the portfolio learning is a core part of the PBL, but just to backtrack a bit. So we will introduce project-based learning through teacher design modules initially. Then as students grow in confidence, they'll do more and more what we call personal projects. Now these can be for a term, seven, eight weeks, or they could be for multiple terms. And these are things that are passionate to the students. The students pick these, the design structure, they, they design their own driving question, they introduce their own learning targets and rubrics, and then the students are then carefully selecting where they want to go in regards to novice, specialist, and mastery. That's how that's our grading scheme. We don't do it through, you know, one to seven. So 
the students through personal projects, once they've got the confidence from the teacher-led modules, are beginning to go in their own directions, implement their own passions. And then finally in grade 12, they'll do something called the mastery project, which is where they bring everything together and select something they are super passionate in. That's a deep dive in terms of their learning. They'll tie up with external mentors, external businesses, the end product, the prototype, um, the design, what we expect to be of a higher level than the teacher-led modules and the, and the passion projects they've done previously. So if you think of those three tiers, that's what I hope people maybe can take away, can learn from this podcast, that if you're going to bring in PBL, be very intentional where you're going to go. Are you going to do a teacher-led module where the teachers are gearing the students? Are you going to let the students go free, go free? Nothing wrong in that. Just make sure your students are ready to do that. Or at the end of a very rigorous place-based learning experience, are they ready for something like a mastery project? And the mastery project is what we're seeing particular students take into university interviews, job interviews. Yeah, I think I totally agree that PBL has this kind of bad image of just uh, students roaming free and doing whatever they like. And it's not yeah. it's not kind of following any path whatsoever. If um, and again, this is along a lot of conversations of schools thinking along this way. Those who are looking to develop PBL at the moment, with uh, with the the portfolio project, presumably that's an e-portfolio, is it as well? If you're travelling around, or is it is it a mixture of e-portfolio and physical, or, or what's it? So, for example, what might a portfolio look like that students are presenting to universities? Yeah, a student who, for example, is looking at Middle Eastern banking systems, we had one student do that. So that would largely be an e-portfolio. However, a student who is doing a fashion, we've had multiple students design fashion brands. Mm -hmm. um, so if they're designing lookbooks, they're creating uh, maybe a dress, maybe a t-shirt or dress design, those tends to be, because you're, you're dealing with real physical materials, sample types, material types, those portfolios will be much more, you know, something they'll travel around with. Now the student needs to be careful. They can't be traveling the, around the world with, you know, mounds yeah. of portfolios. <laughs> okay. So they've got to, they've got to be smart. Yeah. They've got to be smart in what they do, but it, it, it will be, I would say 80 to 85%, it will be e-portfolios, e-design so on something like Canva. Mm. And then you might get fashion or an interior design mastery or personal project being a little more physical but it's very much de dependent on the project and dependent on the domain the student is interacting in and there's lots of talk around at the moment about um, mastery transcripts and micro credentials and do you make use of all of those what's your opinion on 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 the move towards and presumably that's that's what you're using right now for university entrance yeah no no we have our own transcripts and our own transcripts along with our accreditors who are wasc western association of schools and colleges yeah. our own transcripts has not provided any problems for our university applicants yeah no we we looked at mastery transcripts i would say quite a few years ago now and we we haven't moved forward with that uh, we found that our transcripts is doing the job it needs to do, but we're not against looking at an organization like that moving forward. But yeah, so we've used our own and that's been fairly successful, yeah. to be honest. And if I were a student at your school, 
what would my year look like? And we met we met a couple of months ago. God, how time flies. <laughs> and I remember sitting again, yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> so if you could kind of just describe to people what a typical year might look like, because you kind of have a rolling program. What does it look like to be a student? And obviously, again, a kind of a teacher and a leader, I guess, at, at Think Global School. Yeah, sure. So basically you would... If you're a teacher, you arrive in the place a week before the students or, you know, four or five days before the students, you set up, you know, the student dorms, the classrooms, uh, make sure all your activities and your, your courses and lessons are ready to go. If you're a student, you in term one, and let's just say you've just joined the school, in term one, that will be an experience, like I said before, where you will have a lot of handholding through project-based learning. I don't like the term de-schooling, but there'll be a what you know a disorientation period where a student goes yeah. from the traditional <laughs> model to the PBL model. So we're getting the student ready for that. Then there'll be a rite of passage for new students and existing students, where uh, that could happen in somewhere like Bosnia, Botswana. Students basically will come together as a community. Students will gel and there'll be a togetherness of that community. And that's not really about PBL. That is really about teamwork and bonding because we believe the best PBL stuff, because so much of our learning is through teamwork and, and, and group work. What we believe is we, you've got to build that team though. And that's for any school anywhere in the world. I mean, you've got to, I know we've, we, we come from a very privileged position where we're traveling, but if you're really serious about project-based learning, you've got to get your students to gel, work together, to be open with each other, a free flow of ideas. So we do that through a rite of passage. Now that's been tremendously exciting and experimental, like somewhere like Botswana, or it's very been very much more traditional like it was in Dubai, where we made use of local activity parks and um, a leadership camp. So it can look a million different ways, but the end product is to gel your community. Then a student would go into their projects. So that's term one. Then what the students are doing this year, Botswana, India, Japan, and then we always finish in Greece where we bring our two cohorts together and we do a community term. And each project within a term, it does have some strands of similarity. So our students will be introduced to the topic, the driving question. Our students then will meet local experts, go on field trips. Then there'll be a period of design prototype. And then on the back end of the term, the students will be preparing for what we call showcase, which is where they publicly display their product. And the student has to think about, well, how am I going to display the product? What is it going to be displayed with? How am I going to display it? So when we're in Dubai, we made a lot of, of from the World Expo. So we really went around all the different pavilions because that is a world showcase. Everyone's showcasing work, you know. So we thought a lot, not just about showcasing work, but, you know, what about touch, sight, smell? Um, there's so many different aspects to just showcasing a, you know, I've designed a car, the car sits on a table, we go around, we look at it. Okay, that's one, but what about sound? What about smell? What about, can you touch the car? Can you pick it up? Um, does it do anything? <laughs> does it move, you know? What we took from Expo was a completely, so many different ways the kids, the students learn about how they might display their learning and their products. So yeah, that's that. that would be four terms, projects throughout the term and really an an intentionality three introduced to the topic driving question meet experts build some content and knowledge phase two begin prototyping begin building phase three 
get your product ready, showcase it. Wow. And all of that and traveling too. And just looking at the logistics, how does that work? How do you, are there challenges with moving a cohort of students from one country to another? Well, of, of course, massive. I mean, safety is paramount. So, you know, every location we go to, we'll have a host city specialist. We'll have someone on the ground who understands local culture, local climate. We're always in touch with that person regarding you know, where we should go, where we shouldn't go. We want to, you know, tread lightly. So we're learning about local customs, local, you know, do's and don'ts. So there'll always be a host city specialist that we have applications on the student's phone, which is for safety. They have to check in three, four times a day, tell us where they are. These are non-negotiable things when you travel, you know, as staff, we just need to know. We'll set up things like safety zones. We can go there individually then you can go to these other places in pairs and groups these other places are no goes unless you're with staff so yeah in terms of logistics and safety it's it's a complex operation at times yeah. yeah we worry about doing a risk assessment for just a trip out for a day but i mean i guess this takes it to a whole new level yeah lots of risk assessments for sure <laughs> so you've been in kind of the the, the uk education system and then you've been international now you have this amazing school where you travel around what have you learned as well personally about education and what do you think education is for now that you've experienced all these different systems? Yeah, I think the first thing I've learned is there's a lot of incredible people in the profession. I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, go into so many different countries because we'll work with local schools wherever we go as well. We'll meet people in education in almost every venue we're in, whether it be teachers, educators, professors. We meet so many people who are passionate, who love education. So I think the good news is from what we've seen, there are so many good people in this industry working hard for our, our young people. I think especially the last few years, I think we're really seeing now a flow of ideas and options beginning to emerge. I think there's a general no matter where I've gone in the world, um, no matter what language, what system in place, I think there's a growing tiredness with exam-based education. I think there's a tiredness with repeating the same. And I've been there, I speak as someone who did this, repeating maybe the same lesson four or five times a week. And by the fifth time you've delivered that same lesson, you know, it's, it's a little much. And I think there is internationally a growing realization that the product that we've created, that we've designed, you know, is, is largely, if we're being blunt, not fit for purpose. We are now dealing with a generation and there's different research, different data, which shows us that attention spans of young people have radically declined. If you don't accept that data, then surely then accept it's a very different childhood than what we experience. There's so many different stimuluses. There's so much coming at them, these young people. So I think the, the model of talk, deliver content, memorize it, sit an exam, I, I think there's a general tiredness of that now. And the, 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 whether it be traveling, which is what we've done, whether it's the conference circuit, you know, whatever, um, circle you're, you're surrounded with. I feel that most of us are feeling that, but, but 
the great news is so many options are beginning right now in this current moment to emerge that are challenging that status quo. What I particularly love about your school is the international mindedness. So taking international mindedness and collaboration to kind of as far as it can go, really, by not only having an international perspective in the classroom, but taking the classroom internationally so that the you know that the advantages your students must get in terms of really having a, a deep appreciation of how different but how similar we all are in the world and how to work together must be immense. We hope so. I mean, that we, we really hope that that is, that we are creating kind, compassionate young learners. Not saying they're perfect, but I, I, I really hope that we are mentoring good young leaders for the future and people who will have an impact and do some good in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the dream. That's the hope. Um, I hope we're doing it. I really do. And then through our new venture, which is the studio, you know, I, I hope we then can pass that, that dream, that ambition to others and help others, educators and teachers, professors make the step into, it doesn't have to be PBL. It's quite a narrow way of looking at it. It can be, whether it be challenge-based learning, learning based on, on real life, <laughs> based on the future that we're going to be faced with. Well, yeah, I mean, particularly in this increasingly polarised and, and from a UK standpoint, kind of small world, to be able to think global is something that we all definitely need to, to be able to do. So Think Studio, do you, are you offering advice to, to schools who are interested in following a similar path to you or what, what's that got to offer for um, educators who may be listening? Yeah, so I, I left my role as, as principal of TGS in, in June and May, June, and we launched the Think Learning Studio. We've been tremendously successful in the first six months. I think coming from a place because of what I said before, people, um, teachers and people in this industry are desperate for change. And I think what we're doing now in our projects with our partners uh, through, for example, our discovery course, which is kind of foundation course, we're helping educators from different schools around the world, world take that first step in projects and place-based learning. And we're not just talking about it, we're actually using real life examples from TGS, from our lab school, uh, ideas and projects that have worked, our students have done and been successful in to really bring to life project-based learning for teachers around the world. And I think not just being a talking head of someone who's you know, studied something, but we've actually been in the trenches delivering this for, for almost a decade now. And we have multiple classes of alumni who've been extremely successful, who largely all say through the Changemaker program, a, a love of learning has returned through, through running projects and passion projects. So if we didn't feel we were doing something right, we certainly would have never launched the studio, but we do feel there's so much to give back. So through our courses at the Think Learning Studio, yeah, we're trying to help teachers take that first step away from the traditional model into something that is more project and, and real real world based. It's that first step, isn't it? I remember when I first worked in my in my first IB MYP school, it was, oh my gosh, what is this? And as you when you had that revelation when you did your IB workshops, it's it's kind of having someone take you by the hand and show you really how learning can be um, and not how it has to be um, from, from everything that we've done and, and maybe just implement something in your school that is going to have a, a real world basis. Absolutely. I mean, if we look, if we look at the curriculums right now, I mean, 
we don't teach I mean, we might mention it, but we're not doing it in any deep way. We're not teaching project management. We're not teaching networking. We're not teaching falling forward, negotiation, portfolio building, budgeting. You know, I know financial literacy was a buzzword for a while in education, but I, I, I saw very few people actually really do it and take it seriously. So all these aspects that we know business leaders in the real world desperately need people who can network, who are good at sales, who can budget, who can portfolio build. These are not being, they don't need, they don't need, um, you know, they don't need algebra. They might need algebra in some source, but they don't need a memorized essay on World War One. They can get that off anyway. You yeah. know, it's, so I think there's a lot of real world skills that we've talked about for a long time, but we now have to begin designing a curriculum that delivers it because it's not just that we are are missing a huge element of what the economy needs or what the future of work will need. But, but you know, some of the data coming out of, of traditional education on things like mental illness, mental health is, is, is startling. It, it, the, the data isn't, well, I don't think the data is lying. I mean, we're looking at a huge issue of mental health within schools. And, and you know, I think it's, you know, uh, the Journal of, of, of Psychology was reporting that students, 83% of students are talking about stress and burnout. These are teenagers. 31% said they were depressed or sad in school. And this is not a model that we, sh we, 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 we need to be looking at this model more, more closely. And what kind of is really sad for me is someone from the English system, the British system, is there seems very little thirst to, 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 to look at this seriously and and really re reinvent this, which is what I believe it needs to happen. I think um, the tinkering isn't going to do much now. It needs to be a, an overhaul. Absolutely, yeah. And um, Russell, I think that if anybody wants to have a look at how successful this can be, they should definitely jump onto your website and have a look. And you also have a podcast, which is really amazing. The podcast, you want to tell us a little about your podcast as well, because I, I love listening into that. Yeah, Wonder and Wonders, as we just finished season one, uh, we had some incredible guests. We had um, Dan Kinzer from National Geographic. He was looking for sharks on the boat that I think found the Titanic. And we interviewed we interviewed him on on that boat. That was that was cool. We met Raya, who is the founder of the School of Humanity, who are a great school here in Dubai doing wonderful work. Who else did we meet? Saba from Nuvu in Boston, US, um, pro an incredible project-based learning school that that really, you know, li lived the mission. So yeah, we had an incredible, and we've got a series two set of guests. We hope can match those guys, but I, I you know, it's, it's a tough challenge. But we're looking forward to filming season two in, in in a few weeks. So yeah, so that was great, and we had some local voices as well. For example, the episode with Dan Garvey. He, he was an educator with me with me at Think Global School for many years. So actually giving you, he gave a real insight on, on the day-to-day -day workings of Think Global School and, and working as an educator, running the projects. Because there's things that I, as principal, that, that I didn't always have eyes on, but the episode with Dan, Dan really get, went into the, the finer detail. Well, Russell, it was an absolute pleasure meeting when I last met you, and it's an absolute pleasure to have met and talked to you again about what can be in education and how to do things differently and successfully. So I want to wish you all the best with your studio and with your school, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much.
That's it for another insightful episode with Angela Fairs from Full Circle. And thank you for listening. To get in touch with Angela, check out her website. It's fullcircle-education.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.